Turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 2, and we'll be reading Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 14. Luke 2, 8 through 14. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And the angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day In the city of David, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying... Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. We all have traditions at this time of year. Traditions that make Christmas Christmas. It's just not Christmas until fill in the blank. Whatever it is for you. Uh, Maybe it's December 1st, going with a family to cut down a tree and bringing it back and making hot chocolate and listening to Bing and Burl and decorating the Christmas tree together. Maybe it's music. I have a sister-in-law who's not here so I can talk about her. When it comes September, she's ready for Christmas music. You know, what's the, what are the rules? When can you listen to Christmas music? I don't. Everybody's got their own perspective. For her, it's September. Uh, it's almost all year long. For some people, it's, you know, a couple of weeks beforehand. But you're looking forward to hearing that particular piece of music. Christmas is here. This is our tradition. Food, for some of you. For me, it's the the sweet potatoes with the crunchy stuff on top. I don't know what it is, but it tastes good. Whatever it is for you, it might be food. Traveling, seeing family, seeing loved ones, going to see someone, someone coming to see you. It's just what you do. It makes Christmas Christmas. Hopefully, part of what makes Christmas Christmas for you is a special church service. The Christmas Eve service at Highlands is a wonderful time of worship and praise and fellowship. Maybe that, for you, makes Christmas uh, Christmas. How about, <laughs> how about movies? A Christmas carol. It's a wonderful life. 
White Christmas. You know, I, I saw White Christmas for the first time two years ago. It is so cheesy. I loved it. I was about to break out singing, but there's a reason I don't ever sing up here. I sing out there with you. Whatever it is, maybe you're uh, one of these profound thinkers, and for you, you're looking forward to uh, um, Elf or Home Alone. I don't know. You know what I'm saying. You look forward to these traditions year-round. Now, for me, I go rummaging around up in the attic. I go back in the corner. It's usually back in the corner, and I have a little statue. No, it's not an idol, but it's just a little statue of one of my favorite theologians, Charlie Brown. And there's something about Charlie Brown, isn't there, you you have to admit, there's something about Charlie Brown and that little, terrible, wimpy Christmas tree. It's sort of a picture of all of us. And Charlie Brown's refrain, can't anybody tell me what Christmas is all about? And a little boy with a blanket named Linus says, Sure, Charlie Brown, I can tell you what Christmas is all about. He walks down the center aisle up to the stage. The lights dim. The spotlight comes on, and he reads this passage. And then he steps down and says, That's what Christmas is all about, Charlie Brown. This is a passage... Not only for Linus and Charlie Brown, but for all of us, it's a tradition. And you know what's fascinating, and you know this, whether you're a Christian or not a Christian, people who are Christians and non-Christians by the millions around the world look forward to this passage. Even for many who are not believers, this just has to be read. And they love to hear, we love to hear about peace. It's a tradition. It makes Christmas Christmas. Can you imagine going through the Christmas holidays without ever reading this passage? No. No. We love the themes. It's all here. Angels and shepherds and sheep and fields and a baby in a manger and peace. But therein lies the problem. This passage, this song, is so familiar to us. It's like your favorite song, whatever it is. You find yourself singing it and not thinking about the words. We love this passage. It's a tradition. It comes around every year. And we can find ourselves in the position of singing it, saying it, reading it, memorizing it maybe, and not even really having its meaning in our heart. So here's the challenge. Here's the challenge. The challenge is to look at a passage like this. It's so wonderful, so beautiful, so familiar with new eyes. Hear it with new ears. Understand it with new hearts and minds. That's our challenge. That's our challenge this morning. You know what this is? First of all, it's the greatest peace song ever written. And there have been a lot of peace songs written. 
All we are saying is give peace a chance. We could go on and on. This is the greatest. Please, whenever you hear a peace song or a song about peace in the future, think of this. Think Luke 2, Luke 2, Luke 2. It's the greatest peace song ever written. It's the greatest peace, peace anthem ever sung. Peace on earth. But what is this peace? Whatever it is, it's very important to Luke because Luke uses this word for peace, arene, more than any other writer in the New Testament. Right here in Luke, we see the word peace. Whatever it is, it's vital to him because he mentions it over and over. More than any other book in the New Testament, peace. What is it? Is it political peace? International peace? Community peace? I loved wherever Wilson is. I, well, there he is. Thank you for your prayer, man. Um, we know that there's just been a, a, a terrible tragedy happen in Connecticut. We long for, for peace in our communities and in our world. Is that the peace that Jesus came primarily to bring? When are peace songs written? When are peace songs sung? They're not written and sung in times of peace. You don't sing peace songs when everything is wonderful and harmonious and peaceful. When I was in my mid-teens, I had a little bracelet that I wore. Some of you will remember this. I wish I still had it. It was called a POW bracelet. And on that POW bracelet was a name of someone who was a prisoner of war in Vietnam. And the, the goal for our family, at least, my one, my sister had one, was to, to know the name and to look at it often and think of this man and pray for him. Whenever we looked at that POW bracelet, I'll, I'll never forget his name. His name was Lieutenant Colonel Robinson Risner, and he was an Air Force pilot who was a POW in Vietnam. And I'll never forget the day. This was pretty special. I'll never forget the day when I actually saw him get off the airplane back in America, walk down on the tarmac and hug his family. I thought I remembered that. I went back and checked for sure this week, and it's true. He was on TV, Robinson Risner. But what's even more fascinating is that I didn't learn this until years later. He's a believer. He was a Christian, and he wrote a book about his experience of war and torture. Listen to what he says. Just a couple of comments that he makes in this book. To make it, I prayed by the hour. I did not ask God to take me out of it. I prayed that he would give me the strength to endure it. When it became so bad that I didn't think that I could stand it, I would ask God to ease my trial and suffering, and somehow he would. And then he says this, these three words, he kept me. He kept me through this circumstance. One day I prayed, Lord, I have to have some relief from this pain. I quoted Bible verses to him. 
to God. And he comforted me. But here's a Christian experiencing the reality that on this earth and in this world, peace, political peace, international peace, community peace is up and down. It comes and goes. It doesn't last. We know that all too well. If Jesus came to establish first and foremost political peace, as we often hear that he did, he failed. Now, don't don't misunderstand me. Jesus also said, blessed are the peacemakers. We are supposed to be pursuing peace with people here and, and everywhere. But Jesus also says in Matthew chapter 10, verse 34, Do not think that I have come to bring peace on the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but the sword. And you will hear in Matthew 24, and you will hear of wars and rumors of wars in Luke 21. And when you hear of wars and tumults, do not be terrified. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. These are the words of Jesus. This is a peace that comes and goes. It's not here in its fullness. It is not the peace that Jesus came primarily to bring. It is a peace that we should all pursue, but it is not this peace. Well, then it must be, secondly, it must be inner peace, right? Once you become a Christian, those of you who are Christians, once you become a Christian, everything is harmonious and fine and peaceful and restful and there's no more conflict. Right? You're not saying right. Wrong. Now, Jesus gives us a peace, certainly. His peace, his inner peace is unique, profound, and life-changing, but it's up and down. It comes and goes. Jesus promises us in John 14, the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give as the world gives. Let not your hearts be troubled and don't be afraid. Yes, there's certainly, in a sense, an inner peace that we have when we become Christians and place our faith in Jesus Christ. But at the same time, few chapters over, Luke 12, 51. Do you think that I have come to bring peace on the earth? No. I tell you, but rather division. Now, we all love gentle Jesus, meek and mild. Start reading the things that Jesus actually says. Read your Bibles. He will change you. He goes on to say in Luke chapter 12, For from now on, uh, one house will be divided five ways. They will be divided, father against son, and son against father, mother mother against daughter, daughter against mother, mother mother-in-law against daughter-in-law, and so forth. What in the world? 
Here's what Jesus is saying here. He's saying that when I come into your life, I'm going to change you. I'm going to stretch you. I'm going to transform you. And there may be people around you that don't like that. You may even have family members that don't like that. Pursue peace with them. In fact, give your life for them. But just know. But just know. That sometimes when Jesus comes into your life, he unsettles you. He ruffles you up. He challenges you. He confronts you. That happens in any good relationship. And it's certainly true of his relationship with us. I remember sitting with a man several years ago. Um, He knew I was a pastor. I don't know where he was Uh, spiritually, and he looked me right in the eye and said, you know, my son was once considering uh, going into the ministry, but I, I talked him out of it and rescued him from that life. I don't know what his, uh, his motives were, but again, the, the apostle Paul says in Colossians three, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts which indeed you were called in one body. And and be thankful in Philippians 4. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. But we know, don't we? We experience, don't we? that, That political peace, international peace, community peace, inner peace goes up and down. It's strong and weak. It comes and goes because we live in a sinful, fallen world. So what is this peace? (laughs) What is this peace of which the angels sing? Believe it or not, believe it or not, that this peace of which the angels are singing is more profound, more wonderful, more life-changing than than international peace or, or inner peace. It leads to those. But it's more fundamental. It's more basic. It's more rooted in the depths of your heart and the reality of what Christ does for us. Look, let's call it this. Let's call it Christmas peace. It is a peace that will never fail you. It is a peace that will never come and go. It is a peace that is always strong and never weak. And it is a peace that lasts forever. And it is a peace that you can have today. It is a peace that you can have now. Today, you remember that I said um, Luke uses this word peace, arene, more than any other book of the New Testament. Luke uses this word peace. You know what book of the Bible uses peace more than any other book of the Bible? Obviously, it's going to be in the Old Testament. What book of the Bible talks about peace more than any other book? It's very important to Luke. He emphasizes it over and over. You know the word. The word is shalom. Maybe the Psalms? No. Proverbs? No. 
Isaiah? No. You'll never guess. In fact, I can tell you that it is not your favorite book of the Bible. Leviticus. Why are you laughing? You're laughing because once somebody told you you should read through the Bible in a year and you stopped at Leviticus. <laughs> See? I did that too when I, at one point. I have read the whole Bible, though. It's a good thing for you, I guess. Uh, you need to read through the Bible. You come to Leviticus, it's over. I won't make you raise your hand, but I don't think that anybody in here would say that Leviticus is my favorite book of the Bible. Now, here's the point. You can't understand the angel song without understanding Leviticus. The Bible fits together. You can't understand the angel song without understanding Leviticus. Why? Why this book about all these sacrifices and this, this blood and these ceremonies and tabernacles? And law-keeping? What does that have to do with peace? If you read Leviticus 3 and Leviticus 7, you'll see the word peace, 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 over and over and over. And it's referring to the peace offering. Let me give you just a little taste. Leviticus 3, 6. If his offering for a sacrifice of peace offering to the Lord is an animal from the flock, male or female, he shall offer it without blemish. Three, seven. If he offers a lamb for his offering, he shall offer it before the Lord, lay his hand on the head of his offering, kill it in the front of the tent of meeting, and Aaron's sons, the priest, shall, shall throw its blood against the sides of the altar. It just doesn't sound very Christmassy. It's absolutely Christmassy. This is one of those wonderful... Um, Old Testament passages that is a signpost pointing into the future right at Jesus. What's going on here? What's going on here? The the author of, of, of Leviticus is saying that sin and rebellion, human sin and rebellion that causes wars and conflicts, An inner conflict is so serious. It is so grave that the only thing that will deal with it is the shedding of blood. It's so serious, so profound, so life-changing that the only thing that is going to deal with this once and for all is the shedding of blood. Somebody has to die. There is no peace with God without a a perfect, spotless lamb, without a perfect, spotless sacrifice. That's the peace uh, that we're 
reading about, that we're singing about. Of course, John the Baptist in John 1 looks at Jesus and says what? Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. John the Apostle, at the end of the Bible, the very last book of the Bible, Revelation 5, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. Leviticus 3 is picturing the transferring of our sin to Jesus. And His bloody sacrifice in our place to bring us once and for all peace and reconciliation with God. And this war is going on in every heart. And Leviticus 3 pictures Christ. Hebrews chapter 9, But when Christ appeared as the high priest, He entered once and for all into the holy places not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of His own blood, thus securing our eternal redemption. And the Apostle Paul says in Romans 5, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. While we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son. By the death of His Son. In Colossians 1, He says, He made peace with us by the blood of the cross. And then Ephesians 2, But now in Christ Jesus you, who were once far off, have been brought near. Here it is. You who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. He himself, Paul says, is our peace. He himself is our peace. For every person who has ever lived, God has said, Obey me and follow me and I will bless you. Obey me, do what I say and I will bless you, except for one. Except for one, one, his own son. Obey me perfectly, follow me, love me perfectly, do what I tell you to do, and I will crush you. That is not some fairy tale. That is not some fiction. That is not some story that somebody made up. That's love. That's peace. That's eternal life. Through the death of Jesus Christ. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Thy will be done. That's love. That's peace. That's eternal life for all of us. There is no more important life-changing peace than that. And it's only found in Jesus and Him alone. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host 
praising God. You know what a heavenly host is? Behind that is a one single word, and that single word is army. Soldiers. What we have here is an army of soldiers filling the sky from horizon to horizon, saying, the war is over. Through the blood of Christ, by the grace and mercy of Jesus, the war is over. Peace has come. Through Jesus Christ. We could put it another way. Have an army declaring a peace treaty written in the blood of Jesus. Singing about this peace treaty. Run to Christ. Trust in Christ. Ask Him to forgive you. He will change you and and transform you. Let's sum it all up this way. We're about to sing it. Peace on earth and mercy mild, God and sinners reconciled. That's the angel song, that's Christmas, that's the gospel. And there's two kinds of people in this room, in this town, in this state, in this nation, in this world. There are some who know this peace and some who don't. Some who are still fighting. Some who don't know the song and taking it to their hearts. If you have this peace and you, as a result, are are pursuing every other kind of peace, praise God, sing His glory, sing His praise. If you don't, and maybe you thought you did, but if you don't, lay down your weapons Run to Jesus Christ. Where meek souls will receive him still, the dear Christ enters in. Where meek souls will receive him still, the dear Christ enters in. I love what um, G.K. Chesterton, who was a journalist who lived uh, years ago, said, there's something There's something defiant about Christmas. Something that makes the the bells at midnight sound like the great guns of a battle that has just been won. There is something defiant about Christmas. Something that makes the bells at midnight sound like the great guns of a battle that has just been won. The war's over by grace. And we're about to sing of that very grace. Let's pray. Lord, we are overwhelmed by Christmas peace. We are amazed at Jesus Christ the righteous. Jesus Christ the sacrifice. A baby in a manger and yet bigger than the whole world. A baby born to die. A baby 
who was once a zygote. <laughs> it's, it's unimaginable. And yet born to live and born to die, born to shed his blood to bring us peace so the angels can sing of it. So we can, can sing of it. And Lord, I want to I pause before we sing. And just in... In a moment, very briefly, of, of, of silence, Lord, I pray that each one of us would, would reflect for a moment on where we are with you or where we aren't with you. Lord, I pray for those who, who don't know this peace, and I praise you for those who do. So let's just take just a moment of silence. And I want you to wrestle with this peace. Look to Christ. Know where you are. Lord, we praise you and thank you for him who came such a distance, our Lord Jesus Christ. And now we sing his praise. Amen.